You know what Koa said to me the other day? Actually, this was yesterday. He said um, he came up to me with his friend. They were playing in the yard and he came up and they were both holding sticks and they looked like pretty ominous and serious. And Koa goes, we want to understand you. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, uh, what do you uh, what do you want to know? Or and he goes, we want to understand your body. Oh, isn't that scary? So I was like, well, I mean, we talked we talked last week about like if either of us got murdered and how fun that would be of like the the articles would write themselves. But I think what we're missing is, is like if your son became a serial killer, the articles would be that much more intriguing. And then I think he's going to become a doctor. Now that he said he wants to understand my body. You think it means he he wants to kill me and dissect me? Well, what if it's a different... What if it's a combination of the two where he's a funeral director? He's like a mortician. (laughs) He just does autopsies and he wants to understand your body. I don't know. Whatever. He does like a scary as long as he's happy, okay? As long as, as he's long happy. As long as he's happy. That's all that matters and to me, successful. at least. Well, yeah, obviously that goes without saying. I want to be, If I'm going to have a kid who's going to be a murderer, I want them to be a successful murderer. Yeah, and clever. And clever. Like, make it fun. Make it exciting. Come on, make it fun. Make it fun. I mean. We're getting our roof fixed right now. And. Um, wait, your roof in Brooklyn? Uh-huh. Does that mean my roof is going to get fixed? Why would that mean that? Although I will tell you that my mom went to your house yesterday to clean raccoon blood. Yeah, so my... She spent the whole day cleaning raccoon blood. Dear readers, Carrie's house is haunted and a raccoon committed suicide there. (laughs) (laughs) Tell the story. Do you know it? I know it because what happened was, okay, so I'm having a friend stay at my house because she usually has roommates. And because of the COVID situation, I have an empty apartment. And so I was like you're scared, stay at my place. That feels like the right thing to do. Here's the story of the raccoon. She, so she goes, I was hesitant to tell you what happened because it was really sad. I go, what happened? And she goes, well, there was apparently a raccoon injury. And then the next morning, there was a dead raccoon on our sidewalk. She did not send me any pictures or anything. But they called 311 and they came and cleaned it up. But there was, was there a ton of blood? Oh, you really don't know the story. You just told the dumbest version. I'm going to tell you the good version. Are you ready? (laughs) This doesn't count as my story, even though it should. Because it's dark and creepy. Oh, my God. I'm so excited and I'm so nervous. One of the raccoons on the roof jumped off, fell off. I mean, I'm sure it didn't jump. But I like to picture it was like, I've had enough. like, (laughs) fuck this COVID. There's no garbage for me to eat fuck you all i had enough of this crazy life i miss carrie so it jumped off (laughs) she took pictures of me (laughs) it fell on the window grate below and the window (gasps) grate is shaped such that it impaled itself on the grate so 
the, first of all, the worst death ever, getting impaled oh. after falling from a horrible height. But it gets worse because the no. raccoon did not perish at the time of its fall and somehow got itself off of the grate and crawled away no. from the house to the front of the house, to the street, made it to across the sidewalk to the street and died in the street so not only was there like blood splatter dexter style on the window and the wall where the (laughs) raccoon when it hit oh my god created a splatter but there was also a totally morbid blood trail scavenger hunt to find the corpse (laughs) 20 feet from where the original impaling happened. So, so my mom, mom had to go over there and, and clean, clean up all the blood. All? Was she so happy to come back to Brooklyn and be like, now I get to clean up blood? Yeah, I mean, it was a great reason to travel. So <laughs> she was thrilled. How was her travel? You know what? She's like the kind of person, though, she's like not impacted by that kind of stuff. Uh, she's not faint of heart. So she yeah. did it and she was like, you know, what's interesting is spit gets out your own blood, but hydrogen peroxide is really, you know, she like was. T- she really went for it. Yeah, there was. Wow. She knows a lot about getting blood out. I don't well, I want to know why. This will be because if dear readers, if I haven't mentioned it to you before, I have a family. Essentially, I live in a Posner estate, but it was previously owned by raccoons. They have not given up ten, um, landlord rights like truly. They are the owners of the property. I. It's just a raccoon's world. We're living in it. And I think that because we, we have a whole – when we first moved in there, there's a garage across the street. For any Dear Reader stalkers, you can now find out where I live. <laughs> get there's on a, Google Maps. Figure it out. Get on Google out. Maps. Find it. Become a sleuth. Find out where I live. Send me shit. These guys across the street were like, um – hey they knocked on our window i was with your sister at her place at the time they knocked on our window and it was really freaky because they're just people knocking on your window in brooklyn you're like what the fuck is going on so we said hi and they said did you know that there's raccoons scaling your building and we were like what (laughs) (laughs) they were like here's a video and it literally is like like they live it's their home they scurry up and they go on the fire escape and like travel up and then there's a hole in the roof where they go in and they breed and last year they had little babies and they were climbing and they're teaching them how to climb so they're screeching they're so cute but so scary and they're brooklyn raccoons so they're zero percent afraid of any of us they're so fearless like me walking out the front door of like a not busy street but not not busy and there's a family of four sitting there watching me. One <laughs> you're time like, I was, where are you going? <laughs> where are you going? And they're like, and then one time I was making chicken in my kitchen, chicken in my kitchen. And I turn around and there's one that went through my grate that was sitting on the screen, just like watching me eat. I have a, it's just, you know, I, I mean, this is a controversial opinion, but I just want them out of my roof. They're, and that sometimes means killing them and then covering no, no, up the No, no, no. This is, do you know what we're doing? What We're are we having doing? the raccoon experts come, and this <gasps> is what they do. Can I tell you what they do to get rid of them? I think it's pretty dark. It's isn't not. It? It's not that bad oh, at all. Not? They figure out. I. It's, it's not. 
bad like you're thinking. They figure out where the raccoon house is and they build a door (laughs) on it. And the door is the kind of door that you can leave. It's a magic door. So you can leave your house, but once it shuts behind you, you can't get back in. So no no animal will be trapped inside. All the animals will be able to leave, but they will not be able to get back in. And then eventually all the animals will leave and they'll have to find a new idea like Prospect Park will be my suggestion to them. Or Greenwood Cemetery. Greenwood Cemetery is a great cemetery. place for raccoons. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dear readers, we'll have to post. I'll send a picture for Quinn to post for this episode. Of the raccoon? It's, there's, it's so cute. It's like a little pet. But they 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 do suck, though. That's the thing. They when suck. When we first moved in to this house, our yard was overgrown and the raccoons lived there. And my friend spent the night here before I moved in, and she sent me a video going outside and clapping, um, going outside because we're second floor, so you could look down into the yard. She'd clap, and every clap, you'd see two little eyes light up in the yard, and they just kept lighting up till it was like a yard filled with 10 neon dots. And you're like, oh, fuck, that's like a <laughs> million raccoons. Um, do you mind if I do my quick eraser correction take it baby i don't know what to call it but um most of you that are listening are dear readers so you have maybe you're already up to date on the episodes maybe you're not and you're thinking you'll go back in time maybe it's too late um no (laughs) just kidding Um, it's too late but it's not too late to apologize um (laughs) because we took down episode Number 25, it was called Labor Lemonade because there were lots of good jokes at the beginning about me putting my son, Koa, to work uh, at a lemonade stand to support myself because this podcast isn't supporting me. I need to think of ideas. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Carrie told the very sad story of actor Phil Hartman that I know we all Mm -hmm. are in love with, um, RIP, and I told the story of Carol Pakman. Um, whose husband killed her and then faked his own death. Um, what happened after the episode came out, it was already out for about a month. And then um, Neil Carol Pakman's grandson reached out to us and asked that we take the episode down. He and I had a back and forth. He could not have been nicer and more understanding and more patient about the whole thing. But I don't know if you guys will remember, I usually cite my sources at the beginning of every episode. And in this case, um, for some reason, I elected to use a lot of sketch sources. Um, but Let's just call them what they are. They were tabloids. Tabloids. Totally. Um, Tabbies. And I read a few things here and there that were off. I got her birthday wrong. I got the the age she was when she was married wrong. And I don't know what else I got wrong, but I'm sure there were plenty of other things again he could not have been nicer about the whole thing thank god because as soon as he reached out to us i had that like panic attack feeling where Mm -hmm. i felt horrible that a victim's family had to reach out to us at all in the meantime i sincerely sincerely do hope that neil um and his mother and his whole family get the justice that they're seeking right now and i'm sorry neil 
that I blew it on that one. I'm going to try to do better. It's a victim's family member. They don't want it out there. There's misinformation in it. So uh, it had to vanish. Take it down. I hope we don't have to take down any more episodes in the future. But um, Um, I do have some good news. You remember that check that someone stole from me? Of course. I think the check was mailed. She sent me like an image of the envelope that looks like it's the check. Tell her to fucking I, open it. Are you crazy? I mean, don't you want to know? Want her to, I don't want her to know how much money it is because I'm like. She'll kill you. She'll kill me and take it. Tell her we've got like six Patreon subscribers. She'll, <laughs> she'll, <laughs> she'll, she'll feel, know what that means. She'll know she'll what it means. She'll feel bad and she'll maybe become a Patreon. Maybe that's all. Be like, just become a Patreon. Become a Patreon <laughs> subscriber. That's so shitty. That's um, so shitty. Hey, what I want to say is that Carrie and I want to make it worth your while to become a Patreon subscriber. If you subscribe in our highest category, which is currently $7 a month, you will get an additional short episode that you will have access to that only the Patreon subscribers will have access to. It'll generally be a story that maybe Carrie and I wanted to do on the regular episode and felt like it might end up too short to do. So we're covering it in these uh, Patreon episodes. Mm -hmm. We'll think of maybe a cute name for them. Probably not. No promises there. We're busy. Okay. We're busy coming up with content for you. That's brave, bold, and exciting. <laughs> That's our motto. No, it's Patreon not. subscribers, we'll keep on the lookout. And for those of you who ain't some Patreon subscribers, what are you doing? Sign up for $7 a month. Not only do you get the existing four, you also get an extra one. Don't be a dummy. Just do it. An extra episode, Carrie? That's insane. How will we That's have the so- time to record that? <sighs> That's a great question, and I haven't quite figured it out yet. I really don't know when we're going to have the extra time, but. <laughs> we just promised it, so we'll We just make promised it. it. I know it was funny because I was just thinking the other day, I was like, do we ever take like a couple weeks off? Like, do we ever be like, we're taking a month off? Like a hot, no? No, we don't deserve that yet. <laughs> I think you can do that when you're like, relevant. <laughs> I think people would genuinely forget about us if we took a week off. <laughs> They'd be like, this well, is the that's people over. That are- <laughs> see ya. We'll Bye. see ya. Okay, so who wants to go first this week? I think actually I went first last week. Okay, then sh- I am. It's me. It's me. It's a me. It's you and it's now or never. Dear readers. Important breaking news. I read an article and it's pronounced LaCroix. Rhymes with Roy. Well, because isn't it? It's from, listen, we're from the Midwest. Oh, what is it? What flavor flav? Coconut. Coconut is a polarizing LaCroix flavor. That's why I get it. Uh, My mom hates coconut. And so I got it right before she came to town. That is no. so shitty. I'm totally kidding. I actually got three flavors, it. and they just happen to be my three favorites. Coconut's like, one of them. Is another one pomplemousse? Pom- Do you say I say, used to say pamplemousse, and someone was like, "It's pomplemousse," and I was like, "I don't care." The fact of the matter is, if it's not le croix, it's le croix. Then pamplemousse is pamplemousse. It's not pomplemousse. You're you're right. Actually, that but that reasoning was sound, and you're correct. Thank you. Okay. So I'm doing the story of the Soho Grifter. What is it even about? What's a grifter? This is this is a recent case. And the 
where I got my information was Wikipedia, BBC, New York Magazine's The Cut, Vanity Fair, Time, Business Insider, and Harper's Bazaar. Okay, so there's this woman. Her full name is Anna Vadimovna Sorokina. Let's just call her. It's she's from news. Russia, baby. <laughs> Let's just call her Lacroix. Um, her name, for all intents and purposes in this moment, is Anna Sorokin. No relation to Aaron Sorkin, okay? She's born in 1991 in Russia, and she's in a southeastern town of Moscow, okay? So she's one of two siblings. The father was a truck driver, and the mother owned a small convenience store and then became a housewife. When Anna, I'm going to call her Anna, when Anna was 16 years old in 2007, they moved to Germany. Germany has a weird school system, um, and by weird school system, I just mean that it's different than what I'm accustomed to. That's why it's weird. I think we have some listeners in Germany. The weirdest thing about their education system is that they teach two languages very well. Where in America, we teach one barely decently. <laughs> we <laughs> don't know any weird. of the words. We don't know any of the words. So she goes to a secondary school called a gymnasium. Have you ever heard of this? No. They were like, she attended gymnasium and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what the? She went to the gym? Was she a gymnast? And no, it's basically a prep school. So she went to kind of like a boarding school, prep school. She was known as pretty quiet. She didn't have much control of the German language. Like her German wasn't that great. Um, she was known as being very quiet. I, I assume I'm editorializing her. She seemed sort of the way they described it was like mousy and unassuming. So she graduated in 2011. She decided to go to art school in London, but then she ended up Moving, she moved to London, decided, nah, not for me, came back to Germany. And then she was an intern at like a PR firm. And then she moved to Paris and interned at a fashion magazine called Purple. Okay. At this point, she calls herself Anna Delvey. Copy that. In 2013, she then moves to New York City. Now, this is where things start kind of taking off. So she was working at this fashion magazine, and she moves to New York in 2013. And she starts getting connected to these inner circles of kind of elite, well-to-do Manhattan socialite people. I don't – I'm going to tell you, dear readers, I live in New York. Quinn lives in New York. I don't know how people get into a socialite circle. It's something I would love to do. Just because I feel I love a nice restaurant. I love a nice meal. And based on what I'm learning about you the socialite scene. <laughs> I think that's, I should have said that first. Sorry. Yeah. I want to marry rich. And I think it's important for my value to marry someone which, which, which that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> it's important to me to marry someone rich. Okay. So she's meeting all these people and she starts kind of like getting in the scene. And I read a report from this woman who is a DJ who met her once in the Hamptons and this guy introduced her to them and he goes, can she crash in your hotel? And they were like, no, we don't know her. No, she kind of was quiet and not really outspoken or anything. And so what happened was, is later on in the day, someone was like, nice dress. And she was like, oh, Balenciaga. And that's all she said. And so this girl was like, oh, I felt bad for her because she doesn't have any friends. And this guy was like, she's an heiress from like solar panels or oil or she is worth like 60 million euro and she doesn't have any friends. She's new to the school. 
And this girl was like, oh, I felt bad for her. So I was like, you can get a blow up mattress and spend the night here. And she didn't really respond to that. And then she later found her sleeping in her car. So there was just some kind of weird sort of rumors going around her that I think Anna was putting out into the world. So the DJ mentions how she kind of got in the inner circle, which is why I'm using this example. She would go to these big events like Fashion Week and things of that nature. And she used her internship at the Purple Fashion Magazine as sort of an in because there were pictures of her with the editor-in-chief. And she also had like 40,000 Instagram followers. So there was some sort of clout around her and she was always dressed to the nines. They constantly reference her Celine sunglasses and she wore, you know, Supreme. She she had all these like nice designer clothes. So she would hang out at these parties and the woman who was a DJ noticed that this girl Anna was constantly just like hanging around. And then when a photographer showed up, she would come in and get in the picture. And so she started kind of getting into this like Manhattan socialite group community, right? Because she was here on a visa, she wasn't a citizen in the U.S., she would stay in hotels. At one point, she stays at Eleven Howard, which is a boutique hotel in Soho, and she befriends a concierge there by the name of Neff. It was interesting hearing Neff talk about it because Anna would go and put a $100 bill every time she talked to Neff, right? Mm-hmm. Or, and so it was like, and Neff became this friend of Anna's and got involved in this world and Neff obviously is not amongst the like Manhattan socialite vibe but Anna was bringing Neff around but she was like it's never a Neff Neff (laughs) it's never a Neff Neff so Neff is like noticing Anna's coming down dropping hundreds and at one point Neff she had like a bunch of people waiting in line at the hotel to ask for recommendations or things like that and at one point Anna came up and just was like putting hundreds on the desk until she got Neff's attention. And so things started kind of getting a little bit fishy. Neff was like invited to dinners. And when she would get there, she kind of noticed that things were a little bit weird. Like people weren't really talking. There were not a lot of connections happening. She met, do you remember Martin Screlly, that horrible guy who like Anna yes, hung out that with him. Horrible, horrible, that horrible guy who crowds- shit yes. bag that like made yes. AIDS medicine so expensive. Is I that think what it he did? It was an EpiPen. I think he bought the rights to EpiPen. I think it was epinephrine, right, or something. He made EpiPens like so insanely expensive. So she kind of kept company with these like trust fund people. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so. At one point, she had a personal trainer who she just shelled out like $4,500 for, who also kind of gave like life coaching vibes. She told everyone that she was this heiress, but she, there was also just things that were that were just not clicking. And I think everybody, as I'll get more into this story, people will sort of realize, oh my God, the writing was on the wall. There were red flags, but nobody did anything. And I think this story is compelling, spoiler alert, because Anna was able to fool people by showing off wealth where there was none you know she made this pattern of like you know she had four hundred dollar eyelash extenses she had you know she would go to salons she would go to spas she would go on holiday and she always found a way to like dupe the system but she would call people and be like my credit card was declined and i can't you know i i need help and if they were like no i can't like the tears would stop and she'd be like well can your boyfriend help pay for it 
and she would just ask people for ridiculous amounts of money. She would have table, she'd have bottle service. And it was pretty interesting because sometimes she'd be able to pay for it in cash and sometimes she wouldn't. There was kind of, it, it was in and out. So mm-hmm. it was, I think it was hard to track whether she was just a con artist or not. And she always presented herself as someone who had a shit ton of money. She was, it was pretty well. She would tell people that she left her wallet like in her checked bag or she left it upstairs. And could you cover me? I'll wire you money. Like, and this is why I want to hang out with this group of people. Like money feels like it's of no consequence. Money was just like exchanged, exchanging hands, like massive amounts of money. And nobody was batting an eye. Like people bought her a flight to Venice and they were like, it was a couple thousand dollars. No big deal. Quinn, I promise you, if you owed me a couple thousand dollars, I would hunch you down and I would demand it back. I Break don't know what caps. I would do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, she had this idea when things started like coming apart or when there were any cracks in her space she, or cracks in sort of the the facade. the facade of her life. She would just – she was an asshole basically. The more I read about her, the more I'm like, how the fuck did this person have friends? And also she took advantage of her friends. Like what is her redeeming quality? Because people were like she was kind of mean to the service staff. She was just not nice and she didn't have many friends. And I think people were like, oh, I feel bad for her. I should hang out with her. She was kind of like a sympathy. And then also she would like buy them everything. The big thing that was going on in her life that she was sort of fooling that kind of got too big to handle – was she wanted to create an art found like um uh, an art sort of like a Soho house art museum meeting collective thing, and she was seeking to rent out a space in New York, and it got so far that she was talking about this one property, and the son of the owner of that property happened to be in the same hotel, and Neff the concierge had gotten to know him. And she was like, oh, yeah, Anna is renting it and, you know, she's staying here, blah, 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 small world. And he goes, I've never heard of that person. And also, if she's renting a building from my father, what kind of hotel? Is she staying in a suite or is she staying in a regular room? And Neff was like, oh, yeah, it is a regular room. It's not like a massive suite. That's weird. And so when she tried to ask Anna about it, Anna goes, you ever have someone do so many favors for you? You kind of just want to pay them back in silence? Like... <laughs> Felt like a little bit of a tactic to shut her the fuck up. Mm-hmm. At one point, Neff is invited out to dinner. And usually, obviously, Anna picks up the tab. And at one one time, they went out to dinner. And it was like a $300 tab or whatever. And Anna gave the guy her credit card. He came back and was like, I'm sorry, it's declined. And she's like, here. And she gave him either a booklet or a phone with a notes app. And it had 12 credit card numbers on it. And was like, just run all these. All of them came back negative or declined. Neff then had to pay for it. And Neff is a concierge worker in, you know, in New York. She's not making a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So she like had to transfer money from savings to get into it. And then later on, the hotels were starting to get wiser. And they noticed that after like a month or so of living there, they didn't have an actual working credit card for Anna on their in their system. And so they Neff, who's now friends with her, they contact her. They're and letting they're like, her just run a tab, essentially. They're not essentially, charging her. yeah. Because I think again, if you have that presentation of wealth, like no one is going to make any have any questions for you, right? So she starts to be like, Neff is like calls Anna is like, you know, they're saying you don't have a credit card, and she goes, oh, don't worry, the wire tra- wire transfer will come there the next day. So they're waiting for the wire transfer. The wire transfer never comes. Then that day, Anna sends a case of Dom Perignon to the entire staff to distribute so that everybody gets like a little bit of 
a little kickback, right? They're like, we're so good she, on the bubbles. We just want the money, lady. We want the fucking money. She ended up owing them $30,000 in hotel fees as well as um, dinners from the restaurant at Le Cuckoo or whatever the fuck it's called. It's a James Beard. You're welcome. Eventually, she got Citibank to wire the money because of some financial dealing she had that I'll get into later. And she was able to wire them the money they needed. Now, they kept badgering her for a credit card to have on file, and she kept evading it until finally they were like, we changed the locks. It's done. We put your stuff in storage. And so Neff had to reach out and be like, yo, they just kicked you out. She was fucking livid. And you know what she did? She was pissed enough that she got the names of all of the managers. And she was like, I'm going to buy your fucking domain name and you're going to have to buy it back for me, which is apparently a trick she learned from Martin Scarelli himself or whatever the fuck his Screlly. name is. Scarelli. She, yeah. So at this time, she was moving to the Beekman, but in between them, she needed some R&R. She needed some rest and relaxation. So she brought her friend, her best friend at the time, Rachel Deloche Williams, who was a photo editor or a photographer at Vanity Fair. And she had hung around in this like kind of like upper echelons of society. So she wasn't totally not familiar with this sort of socialite life. And she had known Anna and Anna had gone out and bought dinners and had this big showing of wealth. And she decided to take her to Marrakesh, Morocco. And she brought her best friend, her personal trainer, and and a documentary filmmaker because she wanted to make a film while being on this vacation about how she was putting up this new arts foundation thing. And she also needed to reset her visa, so she needed to leave the country. So she rented a $7,000 a night private Riyadh, like a private with a private pool, courtyard, just like beautiful shit. They reserved the room. Rachel got confirmation and Anna was like, you know what? I forgot my credit card. Could you just book the flights? I'll pay you back later. And so Rachel was like, okay, no problem. So she books the flights. Then they get there and it's just like beautiful villa. They get private tours, private tennis lessons, like just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. All of a sudden things started happening like they went out shopping and her credit card got declined and she was like rach can you just throw it on your credit card and she goes oh okay sure so she throws on her credit card they have dinner she throws on her credit card then all of a sudden the hotel starts stopping them at the entrance and going um we need a credit card your credit card got declined we need a credit card to put this on these expenses on and she's like oh i'll get it i'll get it they leave they come back now rachel's getting stopped then all of a sudden like two henchmen show up at their door and they're like, we need a wire transfer. We need a credit card. And they basically put so much pressure on them and they won't let them leave and they won't let them do anything in these big, crazy guys that Rachel ends up having to put her credit card down. And Anna's like, I'll get it. I'll get the wire transfer. Don't worry. Like, all is good. Moral of the story is it was about a $62,000 trip that was put on Rachel's credit cards. That she she's still over two fucking cards. paying for. I guarantee it. Yep. Anna's like, I'll wire transfer you $70,000. So at that point, Rachel's like, okay, I know she's good for it. I've gone out with her all this time. Spoiler alert. No, she's still waiting for the fucking money. She gets back. She stays at the Beekman and at the W Hotel. And she's finding out that none of those are working. She would send fraudulent wire transfer cards. She would send 
she would write checks, cash them, cash bad checks, and then take money out before it was too late. Rachel started getting more and more pissed. She started going to Anna's house and being like, hey, where's the check? Where's the check? Where's the check? And the money was never coming. The wire wires were never transferred. Finally, she goes to the police and the police is like, oh, well, you have a cute face. It happened in Morocco. You're better off just doing a GoFundMe to Rachel. Then Rachel ends up calling someone, I don't know, law enforcement is like, I think this person is a con artist. And they're like, I think you're fucking right. What what happened was, is that she was proving that she was the heir to 60 million euro trust fund to get loans for this art foundation thing, right? And so she was going through lawyers that she hired and she had a, quote, private lawyer, this guy who nobody ever met, but had an AOL address who was sending information, who at one point in this whole story ends up disappearing because I have a sneaking suspicion he never fucking existed. And so what happened was, is she's like using this fake information to leverage a loan. And when they need a $100,000 guarantee, she goes to another bank and shows them that loan that she got approved from and gets the loan from them to pay them. So she's like conning banks as well. By the way, if we're not clear, she's 25 years old. Whoa. Okay. So at one point, she ends up giving Rachel like $5,000 via PayPal. That's like so shitty. That's so shitty. So fucked up. (laughs) And a bottle of Dom Perignon. With these loans, the checks, everything just started piling up on Anna very, very quickly. And her world was basically imploding. Do you know what I mean? She ended up having three counts against her from the Beekman Hotel, the W downtown, and a meal at the Parker Meridian, where she contacted a lawyer. She was homeless. She would call on her friends and ask them to stay on their couches and then, like, wouldn't leave their apartment buildings. Like, it was just super duper messy. Finally, at one point, she skipped out on this trial date so she wasn't there for these misdemeanors Mm -hmm. and when the police were finding her they were looking for her they realized like obviously she had all these bigger bigger like grand larceny she ended up having a total of she probably stole a total of two hundred seventy five thousand dollars in like a couple years so they were looking for her and they needed to arrest her and they found her in LA when she was checking into a rehab or leaving her rehab facility or something. They found her in LA based on Rachel like texting with the police and texting her at the same time. The person that was a victim of the case was like trying to help locate her and get her back and was like using the guise of friendship being like, let's go grab a drink. Let's do something. It was really fucked up. So she gets back to New York, and this is where she stands trial. She was arrested on six charges of grand larceny for scamming New York business acquaintances and hotels. In 2018, she rejected a plea deal that would have just taken her from jail and deported her back to Germany. And then in March 2019, she went to trial. While she was in the trial, she refused to leave because she wasn't dressed well. Like, she didn't like what she was wearing, and so she refused to appear in court. Well, we've all Um, been there. We've all been there. Who doesn't... I hate having a bad outfit day. My whole life is a bad outfit day. So the prosecutor was like, she's a con artist. She had no respect. She cared more about clothing than she did her victims. 
she didn't give a shit about people. And then the defense claimed, which I love this claim, the defense claimed that she was just buying time to get money back to them, you know, and they compared her to Frank Sinatra for claiming they both created an opportunity in New York City. Love that. Wow. What's crazy is during the trial, her lawyer hired a stylist to style her for the court hearing so that she looked presentable and she looked like an affluent person, like basically trying to like con the jury, like she conned all of her quote unquote friends. Oh, weird. A like jury? they think if she looked rich, the jury would be like, oh, it's fine. I don't think she is a con artist. Right. Yeah. That's basically where they were like, I guess if she presented because that's like a part of her brand. Mm. Um a jury convicted her of first degree attempted grand larceny, theft of services, and larceny in the second degree. From what I read, she was found not guilty on the attempted $22 million loan she tried to get and um, a charge of theft for the $60,000 Morocco trip. So Rachel has not seen the money. She's guilty in all the other occurrences. So Rachel got fucked. Is like Rachel got super duper fucked. So she said Don't sentenced- lend your friends money, you know? Like, uh, here's the thing. Give your friends money. That's fine. Don't lend your friends money. That's a smart thing to do. Buy, well, you know, I buy just, your friend's dinner. Buy him a trip to Morocco if you have the money. But uh, Well, that's what I think Anna was actually win. trying to do. I think Anna was trying to take her to Morocco. And then once they were there, it was like, oops, we need your credit card. So she was sentenced to guilty. She was sentenced to four <laughs> to 12 years in prison. She was fined $24,000 and is ordered to pay restitution of $199,000 and will probably end in deportation at the end of her sentence. She is currently at Rikers Island. The earliest release date is October 19th, 2021. And there was a couple of interviews with her after the fact. And here are some quotes that she gave because I thought they were so fucking insane. This place is not that bad at all, actually. People seem to think it's horrible, but I see it like this sociological experiment. And she's made some friends in jail, and apparently um, the murderers were the most interesting to her. And she said, there are a couple of girls who are here for financial crimes as well. This one girl, she's been stealing other people's identities. I didn't realize it was so easy. Oh, so she's in there getting ideas. She's fucking She's going to come she's, out next year ready to do some different things. I'm about to figure out math. She was born in 91, which means she's like 29. She's like a baby still. I mean, she's a couple years younger than me, but whatever. She's like, my parents had high expectations. They always trusted me with my decision making. I guess they regret it now. And then she said to the New York Times, I'd be lying to you and to everyone else and to myself if I said I was sorry for anything. She was like, I regret how things turned out with Rachel, but I mean, I made a biz, like I made a lot of really smart decisions. She was like, the foundation, the thing, the art thing that she was creating was the real fucking deal. If you're interested in this, BBC did a crazy in-depth whole podcast. This is just the tip of the iceberg. It's a crazy story. Netflix purchased the show. Shondaland purchased it for Netflix. They got the rights to hopefully star Julia Gartner, the girl from Ozarks. Then because of that Netflix deal, New York State sued her and cited the Son of Sam's Law because she was going to get paid $1,000 for her story plus 15000 per episode and royalties and $7,500. And they're like, no, this money should go back to the people she conned and duped out of fucking money. Also, there's news that HBO is producing, um, is working on it based on Rachel's account, which is a very popular Vanity Fair article and also 
Rachel came out with a book, I think called My Friend Anna, and Lena Dunham is working on producing it. And if Anna, who is still trying to just like push her own agenda, she personally really wants Margot Robbie to play her. Oh, definitely. Great idea. Mm -hmm. I would want Margot Robbie to play me. So I get it. So Anna is still in jail. She doesn't seem like a nice person either, which I think is the thing that is most offensive to me, is that she seems like a no, bad... No, but if she had been too nice, that would have been suspect, because rich people aren't nice like that, except Tom Hanks. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I get your vibe. Anyway, I just had to do the story of the Soho Grifter, because I was interested in it, and I'm sorry, did that make sense, my story? Yeah. Was it a little confusing? It's a story of a, a con artist. A con artist. And she's going to leave prison soon and commit some more cons, so I can't wait for part two. Um. Well, so my story is I watched like a, a mini moment of it on Unsolved Mysteries. It was not like a full Unsolved Mysteries, but they did like a quick foray into this story. And I was like, Fun. I love it. So then I read about it on Wikipedia and, of course, the scarechamber.com and bustle we love that do you want me to just jump into this crazy tale on april 13th 1986 deborah and alan tallman move uh with their three young kids into a house on larrabee street in horgan wisconsin wait I've heard a little bit about the Tallman. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. I think they're on my list too and I didn't. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, moving on. So Horkin is just like a cute little itty bitty farming style town. As of the 2010 census, it had a population of 3,665. So it's not a big town, but this was what they call their dream house. They thought they would move and be in this house forever and have their kids grow up here. So they're moving in April and in February, they've been there for a few months, 1987, they buy a secondhand bunk bed at a furniture store for a hundred bucks. What a deal. Also, Total what were their steal? Where the fuck were their kids sleeping from April, like for 10 no, months? I, I don't know. Maybe they were in cribs, you know, and then it was time to get a bed. So they bring home the bunk bed, uh, you know, like in pieces, and they take it to the basement so they can assemble it, and then they move it upstairs, which was actually one of the weirdest facts that I read. I was like, wait, <laughs> you, t- you went to the basement with all the pieces, you put the bunk bed together, and then you carried it up from the basement? That doesn't make any sense. They must have had huge doorways their doorways must have been fucking massive doorways they must have had an airport ramp or escalator why would you build a bunk bed on a different floor from which you needed it also like building a bunk bed should not take you more than a couple hours right unless you're building it from scratch well here's the thing it wasn't like ikea remember they got it secondhand so i feel like no instructions it was probably really hard maybe they just built it in the shape of the doorways and stuff because they could do it however they want they just did a really creative build (laughs) it was just a puzzle yeah a puzzle maybe it didn't look like a bunk bed at all when they were done (laughs) maybe they don't know what a bunk bed is there's a lot of maybes in this story and it's hard to find too much in-depth info so yeah got to do some wild guessing um either way they assembled a bunk bed bravo it's not easy to be a parent debbie and alan 
They built it in February. And within weeks, their kids, who were generally super healthy kids, almost never a day sick, were suddenly fucking sick all the time. So they were going to the doctor's office regularly. They were sometimes all three sick. Not that weird. I guess if one kid gets sick, they all get sick. Anyway, so just to clarify, they build the bunk bed in February. They move it up in May. Here's what I feel like. I don't know the reason for that, but my guess would be they build it and they store it in the basement, but they just want to see how it... My guess is that their kids were not out of crib or whatever just yet, and I bet they kept... They were like, oh, we got such a sick... $100 for a bunk bed? That's $50 a bed. That's fucking cheap. So we might as well get it while the getting's good, keep it in the basement until we're ready to bring it up for the kids. That's my guess. Because it was there for a few months and then they bring it up. Also, I guess when you have really little kids, you don't want to put them top bunk. That's like pretty intimidating shit to go from sleeping in a normal bed to like top bunk. Yeah. I mean, I don't love a top bunk. Some kids are like, that's fun. I'm up high, but... That would scare the shit out of me. I don't know how parents sleep at night with their kids in bunk beds. I mean, I guess you get those well, guardrails guard or something. Rails. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't anyway. allowed to be on the top bunk when my sister and I had bunk beds and we were like for like two years. So I, in retaliation, I would just kick her mattress underneath the slats like a real asshole. Like while she was sleeping, I'd like <laughs> with my legs like, it's not nice. I had a bunk bed, but it was my own bunk bed. And That's that weird. Was, that was cool though. No, but I was... Old Did you switch bed. beds? Uh, I'm. I switched beds. I think I was super psyched to sleep top bunk when we got the bunk bed. Like that was the goal. And then when I got a little old for that, where it was like right. I'm I'm a grown woman now. I'm 12 or whatever I was. I would sleep on the bottom bunk, and what I would do is I would take sheets and tuck it into. I would tuck sheets into the right above mattress so yeah. that I created a sort of black cave to sleep like inside of. Yeah. Great. Very comforting. Like being in the womb. Yeah. So the Tallmans, they're the kind of family that they don't believe in hokey pokey hauntings or anything like that. They're churchgoers. <laughs> they don't um, believe in the hokey pokey. One foot they don't in, believe one in the foot hokey out. Pokey. They've never okay. seen someone successfully put their right hand in and then take it back out. And then wave it around. To them, that's not what it's all about. No, that's right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, The house that they were living in, I want to be clear, has no weird history that we know of. Um, And these guys are regular. I'm trying to paint a picture of a regular family. I think, listen, they're pretty average. Debbie is a housewife. Alan is the shift supervisor at a manufacturing plant. They are Joe Schmo's regular. The first night the bed goes upstairs, the Tallman son, Danny, slept in the room next door. And his parents had uh, just given him like this old clock radio just mm-hmm. to, to play with or to have. Right. And they leave him alone to go to bed. And the clock radio starts going bonkers. Like it has a mind of its own. So like there's a station dial on it and it starts bopping all around back and forth like someone is switching stations but no one is so Danny's like this gift sucks and (laughs) he runs to his parents room and he's like where's the receipt I want to return it where's the gift receipt he runs to his parents room and says do you have the receipt (laughs) 
emergency do you have a receipt? <laughs> I really like that. Um, no, he tells them what is doing, but they don't believe him. Actually, they're like, they're like, we gave you this cool thing. Now you're <laughs> up like yelling about it. You know what? If you can't handle having this toy, we're going to take it away. And Danny's like, uh, yeah, I definitely cannot handle it. Thanks. <laughs> take it. So then a few weeks later, Alan is downstairs in the basement and he's uh, painting. And Debbie's like, lunchtime. So he puts his paintbrush <laughs> down in a pan. He knows that he's going to come back to keep painting after he has lunch. So he puts the brush like just in the paint pan. But when he comes back down, the brush is now in the paint pail. And upon reading that, you're sort of like, nah, he probably just forgot where he set the brush. Yeah. But the brush is upside down in the paint pail, like like bristles up. The handle you hold in the paint. So it's I in, just want to know where the paint tin and the paint. Yeah, like that's how close wild. they were. Don't know. Yeah. Don't have any photographic evidence of this scenario. But if you were going to absentmindedly set the brush down, it seems damn near impossible. That's the way you would absentmindedly yeah. set it. Yeah. You'd like prank yourself. Yeah. Well, maybe it was the paint fumes. He was in a basement. Anyway, their two-year-old joins the mix of having scary shit to contend with pretty quickly. She starts telling her parents that she is seeing a witch with red eyes behind her door. And that she also saw um, a fire in her room. And they're trying to comfort her. I'm not sure how you do that. Ko is almost three. And if he said he saw a witch with red eyes and a fire in his room, I would... Freak. Return to sender. I, I don't know what would I would do. Would you ask for the receipt to return the gift? Well, I don't know how you comfort them. I mean, I guess you're just like, there's no witch. Um, <sighs> or maybe have everyone in the family start wearing red contact lenses to normalize the witch. <laughs> <laughs> I love, wait, that's the best logic ever. <laughs> if my kid sees a ghost... I guess everybody's got to dress up as a ghost so he's not afraid of ghosts. Yeah, that's the only way. I mean, that's the only... I mean, that's the option. That's it. <laughs> that's really good. I mean, luckily, Cole likes ghosts, so... He doesn't like them. He loves them. He loves them. them. You're right. When their two-year-old's saying all this to them, they don't tell the other mm-hmm. kids about it. They're not... I mean, why would you? But also, they're not having the conversation about this. Also, like, this. how verbose is a two-year-old? It's a question. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Not very. That's all. Like, pretty... Yeah. Which red eyes. Yeah, that's a good point. She was smart. She got the point across. But the other kids don't know about this. So it's weird when a month later, Danny says he sees an old lady standing by his door that glows like fire. Super similar vision. Hmm. And that is when Debbie, the wife, is like, I think we need help with this situation. So... Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. No, your pastor. Oh, okay. I do wonder but, well, who I was Jewish people secular. call. Maybe Jewish people call Ghostbusters. Yeah, maybe. You don't ever hear in these situations about a rabbi coming by. That is true. We should, you know, that's going to be on our list. We got to find a Jewish haunting. Okay. The Dybbuk box. That was a Jewish haunting. But they were maybe still they just calling. accept it. Yeah. They just accept it. They're like, you know what? This is my life now. So the pastor 
comes to like hang out at their place and they're like, why don't you just hang out and tell us what your thoughts and feelings are like pastors do. And so he comes over and he's like, oh, yes, yes, there's definitely some evil shit going on. I'm getting evil tangles. So he thinks they might even be dealing with the headliner himself. (gasps) The devil? Satan. Yeah. Oh, my God. Satan H. Devil? Yes. And so then the pastor's like, shameless plug, but my suggestion for fixing the problem is that your family go to church more regularly. Well, that feels like a scheme. That feels. Bottom line. The shit going on in the house doesn't really let up. It just keeps coming. It's getting worse. Doors are banging shut. There's like weird disembodied voices they can hear. The kids are scared. It's like typical haunting shit. Yes. Okay. Typical run-of-the-mill haunting. The kids are losing their minds. A week before Christmas, Danny has another crazy vision that something comes in his room And I don't really know what he sees, but he is like, that's enough. So he goes to his parents and he's like, I want to leave. I want to leave this house. Like, and that would be so sad, I think, to have a little kid. So Danny comes in and he's like, mom, dad, tell me you kept the receipt for the house. (laughs) Do you have the receipt? (laughs) Mom and dad, do you have the receipt? Yeah. Well, and like they have been hearing and seeing stuff too so they don't really blame him yeah and alan the dad is like pissed at this point so he's doing the like yell into the void thing that you do you know like the right. that movie um, like all the tropes from tv shows well, i think movies, of, i always haunting, think of i know what you did it. last summer yeah that's exactly what came in my mind too when she's like what do you want from yeah me? she's like yelling and spinning in the street so he does that mm-hmm. but he's like leave my kids alone fight me um but nothing presents itself to throw down and fight him um (laughs) which is like also funny to picture because if you do like a grand thing like that where you're like yelling into the void like jolly yourself or whatever you're doing and then nothing happens after that you kind of want to be there for that moment where the nothing happens and see how he goes back to being normal like he does that for sure like watches jeopardy yeah like how do you come down it's like honey it's dinner time Alan, I said dinner. <laughs> yeah, it just feels really embarrassing. Like going for the high five and not getting it yeah. vibes, but way worse. Um, yeah. So and he's losing. He's losing credibility with his kids. His kids don't trust him. Or they're like, who's gonna? Yeah. They're listen. They, they were religious. They were the sacred call is the pastor. The secular call is Ghostbusters, and they are this close to calling that secular Ghostbusters. I can just feel it. They don't call Ghostbusters, but three weeks later, <sighs> idiots. Alan is working the late shift and he comes home at two in the morning. That would be my personal nightmare already. Outside their garage, he hears a howling sound and it's kind of soft but getting louder. It kind of sounds like wind. And he hears a voice in the howling saying, Come here. And it keeps repeating it. I personally would decline. Um, I would even prefer if the voice said come hither because then I'd be like, oh, maybe it's an old timey ghost. And I'd be like, not as scared. But come here is just so scary. So he follows the sound around the back of the house to see if anybody's there. Doesn't see anybody. And then when he goes back to the front of the house, he's like, holy shit. His garage is on fire. What? Yeah. So he fucking oh, runs into that his took house. A turn. Yeah. Crazy, right? He runs into his house and he's still carrying his lunchbox from work and he sets it on the floor and like 
has that like, what the fuck do I do moment? And then he's like, I'm scared, but I can't let my house get fucking torched. So he goes back outside and there's nothing. There's no fire. There's no marks like there had ever been a fire. There's no burns on the garage door. There's no evidence that anything he saw was real. And he's like, what in the world is going on? He goes back inside the house, freaked the fuck out, locks the door. And he, it's a ghost. Ghosts can get through locks, you dummy. Well, Sorry. yeah, because he locks the door. He goes to where he set down that lunchbox and he goes to pick it up. And no sooner does he reach down and grab it than it gets like thrown the fuck out of his hands and across the room, like flung by whatever power. Okay. So he's scared shitless. He is also just scared. I mean, he's a family man. He's like scared for himself, but he's also scared for his family. Also, if that happened to me, I would have put my house on the market the next day. But Alan just starts sleeping in his daughter's room on the floor to, like, protect them. Um, (laughs) So one night he sees – this is so crazy. It's, like, all the elements. He then sees a fog roll in and a voice is in the fog that says, you're dead. And he walks out of the room so scared that he's white. Like he looks like he's frozen, like he's like white. His lips are blue. He's got just like silent tears going down his face and he's shaking. And Debbie's like, what's going on? He's too scared to even say what just happened to him. So that's like (sighs) the scariest thing I think that happens. Holy shit. But a few days later, Alan has to work late again, and he asks one of his relatives to come stay at the house. I assume that he and Debbie told the relative, they don't say the relationship. I don't know who that person is. Maybe it's to protect their identity. But I'm sure they told this person what was going on with their house, but they were probably a skeptic about it because they agreed to come stay. And as this relative is laying on the floor of the girl's room, The same figure seen by the kids, the like witch figure appears to him and he screams and runs out of the room and Debbie hears him and is like, what happened? And he's totally shaken. And I think that that's another big moment for this family because Debbie's like, it's not just my family seeing this. Like, it's not like it's weird when the kids legitimizes it in a way. It makes it super real. Um, Right. So she's like, that's it. And they get their stuff together and they beat it. And two weeks after that, they have the bunk beds destroyed. They were buried in a landfill where nobody will ever build. And they moved to another city, the family, and they have not had any weird paranormal experiences since they moved and the bunk beds were destroyed. A new family moves into their house and they too, like nothing spooky has happened, um, which is interesting because if you do any research on the story or you want to look it up, it's always called the Tallman bunk beds. And that's the haunted thing. Everyone's like, oh, it's the bunk beds that were haunted. And I think maybe they got the bad rap because there were some months that they were in the house that the beds weren't there and nothing happened. Then they built the beds and the kids got sick. Then they brought the beds upstairs and that's when the shit really hit the fan. Right. And the fact that Nothing happened in the house since. It feels like it. What whatever they were seeing 
It doesn't seem like it was attached necessarily to the home, but rather to the bunk beds. Right. Um, Wild. And one just, one fun fact. Um, yeah, pretty tell. When you're reading this story, it like seems like it harkens to tales of carbon monoxide poisoning, I thought. Yeah, that was my thought. Yeah, for it sure. really reminds me of the story that This American Life did which was called and the call was coming from the basement and they tell at the beginning of that episode a story about a woman and her family that experienced all these crazy paranormal things in 1921 I believe and she like the things that she happened to her where she heard footsteps above her and loud noises really loud like furniture being moved but then she'd go in the room and nothing had moved in the room right and she even thought she heard human wailing her son one time came into a room and was like, why did you call me? And she hadn't called him. Actually, I copied this quote from the episode. Some nights after I've been in bed for a while, I felt as if the bedclothes were jerked off me. And I've also felt as if I'd been struck on the shoulder. One night I woke up and saw, sitting on the foot of my bed, a man and a woman. The woman was young, dark, and slight and wore a large picture hat. I was paralyzed and could not move. So all of this stuff is going on. Her other people in her family experience this temporary like paralysis um, and beds rattling and all their plants that they had died. I love how that's the scariest for you. Well, that just that be I mean, so scary if you were um, taking- not if you're like me and I, I my plants. I, I'm not I do not have a green thumb. I can't. If oh. I were to say a plant died every time there'd be a ghost, I would be haunted forever. Oh, that would scare me so much. It just would feel like there was like death present or something. Yeah. No, I get that. I guess if, if plants are going well and then all of a sudden it's like they turn gross, it's and like all well, you, of them. That's what would be. Yeah. It's because I have so many plants too that that's you what have I'm so many I'm beautiful picturing plants. like 50 plants dying suddenly and that would be scary. So yeah, for sure. anyway, she tells her brother-in-law like what's going on. And he's like, you know what? I think that actually sounds like carbon monoxide poisoning. And he checks and there is a leak. And cerebral hypoxia is what they had, which is when um, o- there's oxygen deprivation yeah. to the brain and it causes hallucinations. Okay. So to be clear, the cerebral hypoxia was happening to was this in woman this in this American life. life. When I was reading the story about the Tallman bunk beds, I was like, is this going to be, it felt like it might be carbon monoxide poisoning. Right. Anyway, this is what I want to tell you. Paul Kurtz of the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of the Paranormal, which is in Buffalo, New York, fun fact. He said that the haunting claims were similar to many cases where people misinterpret normal events and that some of the claims could be explained by a gas leak which would cause hallucinations. But factually, a year after they moved out, Wisconsin Power and Light Company went through and replaced faulty gas fittings at several homes in their town in Horicon. But the Tallman home was not one of them. It didn't need that. And Deborah Tallman said after they moved out, I think it's going to be a long time before things get back to normal. I still cannot sit home at night and not be afraid of the dark. And the next, if it had been a gas leak, we would have seen the next family experience the haunting. But again. I'm still skeptical. I think it could have been hard max. The one thing, though, to me that was a little bit telling that it wasn't. was that, 
Or, but you you have people go through and fix, and you don't sometimes don't know what you take on, like what you leave. I think the other thing that was skeptical is that he came back from work and he saw it. He wasn't in the house when the house burst, quote unquote, burst in flames. To me, when you were telling that part of the story, I was like, oh, it's not. I was like, maybe the car has carbon right. monoxide, but it still wouldn't totally dictate. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm a professional skeptic, which is a job we talked about in the very beginning. And I, it's a job that I've given myself. Got to make those paychecks. professional skeptic. By the way, Quinn, did you want to go to Morocco? I'm busy. Oh, my treat. Dear readers, thank you so much for joining us. What a wild time to be alive. Live in as hard as we can, as fast as we, we can, think- as wild as we can. Brave, bold, beautiful. Word, association, games. Like, subscribe, donate to our Patreon. Yeah. Love you. Get ready for that sweet, sweet extra Patreon deal coming your way. Hot. Hike. Hike. <laughs>